It's time for episode six of the Macrovisor podcast. great interview to share with you. From a good friend of mine, professional trader and money manager, Jason Purse. he discusses how he trades these markets using a systematic backtesting driven approach. This is the sort of content that can really help people of all skill levels broaden their horizons and learn new ways to try to handle a more challenging market environment. Jason, great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me back on. You know, we had a, a really good talk the other week and I was excited to kind of get back on and kind of talk through like where we're at because, you know, the markets are super exciting right now. My favorite type of environments are these kind of regime shifts uh, in the macro world. So it'll be fun to catch up again as always. Absolutely, my friend. And I'm delighted to have you back here. And one of the things we're talking about off mic a little bit that I think would be very interesting to our audience here is three of the main trading styles that you engage in. The first one being mean reversion. And I know there's a lot of confusion about what this means. When people talk about mean reversion, you know, I don't know that a lot of the audience necessarily understands what that implies. So let's start there. When you're looking for a mean reversion trade, what's the setup? How do you identify it? What is your risk management protocol? Kind of walk us through what that all means to you and what that looks like. Oh, perfect. So yeah, this is exciting for me because this is something I'm very passionate about and and always trying to learn more about. And that's, uh, you know, trading styles, different trading styles, different trading setups and so on, because I really think that there's all different. For me, I think there's all different types of ideas, all different types of markets where you're going to want to use different strategies. Um, and different times, you know, there's going to be times where this mean reversion works well and so on. And explaining mean reversion, why I started to look into it. So basically, I started out as more of a momentum trader looking for breakouts, uh, looking for, you know, even if you're looking at like a, a flag pattern, you know, you get a breakout, uh, 50 day highs, 100 day highs, uh, Bollinger Bands hitting the top, whatever. I looked for that type of setup. But I realized that there's certain markets that mean reversion works really well in when I was back testing. Now, if you talk to most people and they say, like, you know, buying dips is, is bad, a uh, way to lose money. And it absolutely is. You can lose a lot of money buying dips. But if you set it up the right way, for example, <clears throat> putting a 200-day moving average and being like, I'm only going to buy mean reversion setups uh, when, it, when it's above the 200-day moving average. So that's a way to do that. So another way to think about mean reversion is I'm going to look for this oversold signal or an overbought signal to either buy or sell. And you can do that many ways. Um, The first system I ever built to keep it on a technical base was a stochastic model. So basically it's taking a long period stochastic, which basically kind of creates a long-term trend showing that the long-term trend is strong. Now, if the long-term trend is reading strong in that model, 
And then I also get another signal that's oversold on a shorter term stochastic. Or you could think of this as if you don't know stochastic, you know, Williams percent. Um, you could think of it as a short period, a five period RSI, whatever you want to do. There's many different uh, ways to kind of create the same signal. Um, so think about it. The, the trend is strong. You can think about it moving averages. It's above the 50 day moving average, let's say. Then it gets oversold on one of these uh, signals, and then that can be a buy signal. Basically, you want to wait for the close and it to actually open and go up higher uh, to do that. Now, you could wait for it to get over a 10-day moving average, uh, or you can just buy it and, and hope for it to work out. I like to wait for it to move over the 10-day moving average. That kind of is telling me there's a little bit of momentum behind the move. Uh, I'm not too worried that it's going to just continue to break down and down again. Also, it gives me a place to put the stop. If I, you know, if I just buy something as it's falling, where am I going to put a stop? On the last day? Well, that's most likely going to get hit, you know, overnight. If you're in futures, it's going to get hit immediately the next day. Any time of volatility, if it moves sideways for a day or two, like it could get smashed many different ways. But if I wait for it to get over a 10-day moving average, now I kind of have a little bit of space to work with. And so I think it's really... Um, Important to also know that equities are where this works. So if you're looking at commodities, um, well, well, let's talk about one of the first mean reversion sig signals I ever built. It was for options uh, and selling options, and it was four days down in the S&P 500 or SPY ETF, whatever you want to use. Four days down, and then you buy uh, the market and if, if, if that next day is green. So the next day opens green, you buy the market and it goes up. So you sell a put option. And so basically in that system, that works a very high percentage of the time. It's over 75%. And in systematic uh, systems, that's a very high percentage. If you add a, um, a filter like a 200-day moving average, you want it above that as well. That's going to really add another layer to it and get it, make it even more profitable. And so when you're looking at that, you go, okay, well, four days down in the S&P, if it's in a bullish trend, is a buy signal most of the time. Now, if you do the same thing in commodities, four days down in, let's say, something like oil, and then you try to sell a put or buy oil, uh, most of the time, this continues the trend. This is usually the start of a trend, so you're going to lose a lot of money if you do it that way. So this is why, for me, equities, I will use a mean reversion signal. Um Sometimes on if we're looking at something like uh, currencies, even I, I might use it on, on that as well. Some currencies don't trend as well as others. Um, the yen is one that I do not use one on. It's yen is the yen is very trendy. Um, but of all the other ones, it's possible. But especially on equities, especially on sectors, especially on sectors that are commodity related, it works best. So, you know, if you're an S&P trader, Try to backtest just an easy, an easy one to just kind of understand what I'm talking about here or even an easy one for you to just kind of learn and go, hey, this is a cool system. Maybe I can sell some options using this. Uh, you know, obviously selling naked puts is not what I'm saying to do or, 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 or uh, telling anybody to do anything. But selling maybe a spread is a good way to think about this, like, you know, selling a, a, a bull put spread. You come in, you, you put this in like a couple strikes under the price or right near the price, whatever you want to do. And then, you know, waiting two, three days to close it, you can make a lot of money on that sort of a system. So that's a couple ways of thinking about a mean reversion system. 
That's really interesting. And, you know, it, it also has me because I want to help the audience get a greater appreciation of it. Some of the concepts that you discussed here, one of them being back testing. And I can tell you because I've worked with a lot of traders. I do one on one coaching. We've got a group we've got in discord. And, you know, I've talked to folks in Twitter DM and so forth. One thing I noticed that most people don't do and one thing that you pushed me to do like two years ago now, and I still owe you thanks for it, is lots more backtesting. I think it's so important because you're able to gain some degree of understanding of the personality of an asset class. And you mentioned that this type of trade really works better with equities. They kind of have a differentiated personality. It sounds like part of that was discovered through backtesting. Part of that was discovered through experience. But can you walk us through how you kind of backtest, and you know, you don't need to get into the nitty gritty. I understand there are some proprietary elements here, but just the basics for people out there that are new to this concept. And then on top of that, kind of how that backtesting also helps you identify the personality of an asset. Yeah, I mean, so easy, and I'm I'm pretty open on anything I'm doing because I really believe that I can tell you my system. You're never going to stick with it when there's rough times. Because even if a system is, you know, like we're talking about a 70% system, there's going to be, it doesn't go like, well, I'm going to win twice, lose once, win twice, lose once. At some point, you're going to lose like five times in a row. Um, That's the way it's going to go. And you won't stick to it unless you do the back test. So the back testing is very important for that reason above all else that I can have extreme confidence in something that I'm doing. If I don't don't backtest and I really don't have a belief in it, I will, the second the system starts to fail, the second the system starts to do something I don't expect it to do, I'm not going to have any faith in, in running it. Uh, this is why I think so many traders have, have problems sticking to something like this because, for example, if you know the system is a 60% of the time system and you lose three times, four times in a row, most of the time that next trade is going to be the one that makes money. And sometimes there's going to be things that you're going to uh, lose small, you know, 10 times in a row. That's going to happen, you know, in certain trades. This is why I also think if you are a systematic trader or you are a backtesting trader, you have to diversify across many different assets because there's going to be times where certain things, you know, in your portfolio are not going to do well. I just had, you know, three or four bad trades in Cocoa recently, you know, and then then all of a sudden Cocoa's one of the best trades of the year for me. So it's, you know, that's how it works. And that's why it's important for me to trade all asset classes and everything. And I think that's everybody like I, you know, I kind of say like, yeah, like there are people who could do this or that. But really, I think it makes a lot more sense and it makes things a lot easier for everybody if you're trading uh, across asset classes. Because really, as traders, especially if you're in the swing trading or more of a long term trader, our goal is to find outliers, our goal isn't to, you know, just get a trade right. Like, you know, there's plenty of people who can get a trade right or, you know, or make a couple bucks on this or that, you know, and that's easy to do. Anybody can do that. But really finding those natural gas a couple of years ago to the upside, natural gas recently to the downside, uh, lumber a couple of years ago, Bitcoin a couple of years ago, possibly now. Um, you know, all of these things are, are huge trades and they're huge swings that make a ton of money. But you have to be willing to take the hits, basically. You have to be willing to get hit. Uh, You have to be willing to also diversify so there are other areas. And you have to take enough shots and put enough lines out there to find these. 
Um, you know, if you're if you're back testing a system and you go, oh, well, I can't really do this that well, you know, like it's it's hard for me. And then you stop taking those swings at these assets that you've decided you were going to trade. That's when you're going to start missing trades. And for anybody who's a big trader, you make all of your money in a couple trades. Like every year you'll look back and be able to say those five trades, that one trade, the, like, the, you know, there's some years that one or two trades can hold up an entire portfolio. Uh, shorting the bond market for me was, was one last year, you know, like it, why did I hold up so well last year, considering that the year was really tough, every direction, it wasn't just short or long. And it's because I was taking the swings at different things. You know, you had currencies, uh, being a good trade to the downside, you had bonds being a good trade to the downside. Now, if I would have said, Hey, I'm only going to trade equities. Hey, I'm only going to do this. I would have got chopped up to death. But doing that, that kind of changed things and made things a lot better. Um, so backtesting, I think it's more of a, if you come in and, and you go like, for example, I have a, a system on Bitcoin and I'll share that with your audience because it's an easy one to, to remember and kind of articulate. And everybody knows what a Bitcoin chart looks like. So if we look at Bitcoin, I'm going to pull one up so I can kind of follow along with you guys as I'm telling you about this. So we look at a chart of Bitcoin. And basically, the system is a 30 period, uh, 30 period Bollinger Bands, two periods um, or, or two standard deviations up and then uh, two standard deviations down. And if we look at that and we go, OK, well, when I'm sorry, I'm switching to the right Bollinger Band, when it hits the top of this Bollinger Band, I'm going to buy. When it hits the bottom, I'm going to sell. Now, this can be a choppy system. There's plenty of times where you get false signals and so on. But for the most part, this is the only system I've ever come up with because Bitcoin is such a crazy performing asset that has outperformed Bitcoin. And that's to the upside and the downside. You can basically run this very simple strategy. And basically, when it hits the top of the Bollinger Band, it's a buy signal. When it hits the bottom, it, it's a sell signal. You can create things on the in, in between. Basically, what I use is a 50-day low to be the neutral signal to, to cover my uh, my um, gains or losses or whatever it is. Um, and then I use a, um, um, a stop on it. So I backtest all those things together in one. And so what you find out on something like Bitcoin, um, and speaking about volatility, Bitcoin needs a 35% stop. And so when I say that, <laughs> when I say that out loud, people are like, oh, my God, you know, like how, how in the world would you ever like, why would you even trade it? You know, it's like that's that's a huge stop. That's a 35 percent. You're going to give back 35 percent. It's like, well, if you think about what Bitcoin really is and while I'm looking at a chart, I can put up the entry um, to the exit. So here's the entry. And then to the exit of that trade, you know, that's a 400, uh, over 400% trade. Um, and this was from uh, September-ish uh, 2020 all the way to May 21. So basically, you know, that neither, that didn't catch a perfect bottom. That didn't catch a perfect top, but it's a 400% trade, even giving that 35% back. Why it has to be 35% is if you look at this uptrend on it. Um, so let me see. There was one pullback that went from, uh, where's that at? That's over 40,000 to 30,000 basically. 
you know, another pullback from, you know, uh, 60,000 to 50 or uh, 65,000, sorry, to 55,000. So, you know, you have these huge pullbacks in in the trend of this. And it's like, how do you stay in that? How do you continue to make money in that type of a market? And the way you do it and hold on is you have to have a stop that identifies the volatility of that market. So 35% is as good as it gets in that market. Now, and stops especially, something that people don't talk about, is that stops shouldn't be used as your exit. Stops should be catastrophic. You know, basically, if something major happens to your position, like let's say FTX happens, you know, you put on a Bitcoin trade, you know, there's another FTX event that can happen. You know, those things happen. They have happened. They will continue to happen. And so the FTX event happens and you have this massive sell off. Now, that type of a thing should hit your stop. And once again, it's the 35% stop, and you and I suggest people use 1% of their portfolio. So if you're talking about that, you're talking about like if it's a $100,000 portfolio, you're talking about $3,000 in this uh, Bitcoin position. You know, So trading small is also very important if you're going to be trading. And understanding that something like Bitcoin might have a $2,000, $3,000 position in that portfolio, and something like bonds, for example, could have a 200000 or $100,000 uh, position in that portfolio because bonds, you know, basically a trailing stop in bonds can be, depending on the bond, could be 5 to 10%. But a trailing stop on Bitcoin, because it's the most volatile asset in history, has to be wide. So how do you stay with a position like that with all that volatility, all that stress, um, if you're, you know, if you don't backtest and understand what that asset does, and, and really it's important. So, you know, most people look at something like Bitcoin and they go, oh, look at how much it went up. I'm going to, if I bought it over here and sold it over here, I'd be rich, you know? And really it's a, no, you're, you're never going to buy it perfectly. You're never going to get in, you know, when, you know, before anything happens because you didn't hear about it at that point. Um, so how do you, how do you set it up so you catch these things? And for me, it's, I backtest to figure out the asset. I have the asset already on my list. I don't go outside of the list. You know, you're never going to hear me talk about, hey, I was trading Dogecoin last week or something. <laughs> like, like you'll, you'll never hear about it because it's not on my list, you know? Like, so trading what's what's in your system, uh, the, the tickers you want to trade, having an identity of those, you know, and if you have a new portfolio, let's say if you're just starting out, you know, find 20, 30, 50 tickers, you know, and try to find them across asset classes, try to have some commodities, currencies, you know, even if you're using ETFs and you're trading small, like you can do that, have commodities, have currencies, have bonds, um, trade all these different things, look at these different assets, understand the pullbacks in these assets and the volatility. Another easy way to do it is, you know, ATRs, obviously ATRs, you know, people look at it and they go, okay, one ATR is this much. No, that's not what I mean. When we're looking at ATRs, most of the time, if you're going to be trading with an ATR stop, you need to think it's going to be at least five, you know, if you're if you're going to be a long-term trader. So it's going to be that number times five. So, you know, add those all together back to that type of a strategy. And there's things like TrendSpider, which has made um, backtesting easy for anybody on earth. Um, anybody can kind of go create a TrendSpider account and backtest, and it's very, very easy to do. 
So I'd suggest, you know, people look at that. I, I think it's the one I, I wish it was around when I started trading because I had to learn. I had to take the time and I am not very I'm not the most computer savvy person in the world. But I had to take the time to learn how to code and, and learn how to back test on different things. And so, you know, this really kind of opened it up to where anybody can back test something. And it's, it's valuable. That's a valuable tool. I feel like they run a, a, a plan where you can have like a week or two free or something. You know, it's worth checking out, running some back tests and just seeing, you know, if it's something that can add some value to your trading. Yeah, absolutely. And and for folks that are listening out there, the other thing is, as a TradeRate member, if you go to our member deals page, you can get a, a good chunky discount on TrendSpider, on us. Uh, so definitely check that out, out if you're interested. I also like using TrendSpider's backtesting tools between them and TradingView. You've got just a myriad of really great tools to look at. So I, I love what you talked about. I want to kind of expound on it a little bit. I, I really like the idea for folks out there that are listening that are either newer to trading or just want to expand their horizons because the journey of a trader or an investor is one where you're never done learning. If you're doing it right, you're never done learning. I'm sure we're on the same page about that. There's always more to learn. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that's that's what makes it fun and engaging. But for folks out there that haven't gone down this path of broadening their horizon, one of the things that Jason talks about that I think is so important is looking at the different assets that you might be able to focus on because most people just trade stocks and and maybe options, right? And And yet there's such a broader universe out there in commodities, in bonds, in currencies, even in uh, the bigger crypto, if, if one is inclined to trade really pure beta. But like you said, position sizing is really important. And I really like the idea that we, we discussed this even years ago of sizing positions based on their volatility, you know, and we might gauge that volatility by average true range or beta or realized vol or implied vol or some combination thereof to create a model. But I think that's really important because, you know, you don't want to go max long Bitcoin and you don't want to have a tiny position in bonds, right? Like you said, the sizing is really important relative to managing the risk of the trade and the potential rewards that you might get. Now, with bond volatility now, at levels that we haven't seen since the great financial crisis, maybe we'd be sizing those down just a little bit because they're a little more erratic. And that's another thing that, that this is sort of catering to the idea that it's dynamic, that you're looking at things, you know, and you're adjusting um, expectations and risk management based on that volatility as it changes. I also like the idea that you've talked about backtesting to learn the personality of an asset. I think that's so important because we can't really see that in a chart. We can't really, we can get a general sense, but you can't look at like a, you know, a 10 year, 20 year chart of all the things that an asset has done during that time and really get a good flavor for its personality the same way you can when you're looking at backtesting. And I say this from, you know, my own experience backtesting a variety of different asset classes as well. You'll find that different signals work really well for different things. And that's something that I think for everyone that's out there that's kind of listening and trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? One of the most, and and I think that you inspired me to look at it this way too, obviously there's a lot of documentation about some of the things that work, some of the systems that are out there, but one of the most rewarding and fun things about backtesting is tinkering. And, yeah. and it's a continuous process, right? And and it's it's like you said, it's easier to backtest now 
than it really ever has been, you know? And, and so when we get into this world of trading in 2023, where we've got all this automation, all this technology, all this, this simplified scripting that can power it like uh, TrendSpider and TradingView have, it makes it a lot easier to get into these systems to gain a better appreciation for how these assets might trade and to kind of shape our expectations. And we can even create mechanisms where these systems will fire off signals like, hey, it's time to consider entering this trade or, hey, you know, your exit signal is fine. Or your risk management signal uh, has fired, and 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 I think that's important too because you spoke to something earlier, and I just want to touch on this. And this is a big soft spot for a lot of traders, right? People often ask me, "How do you stay in a trade? How do you keep the conviction to not just, as you know, some folks call paper hand it, right?" And and it has to do with, like you're saying, understanding the personality of the asset and having the data to back that up, to have that conviction, to have that, you know, psychology as a trader to understand that we're just trading the system. We're not trying to add our personality to it. We're trying to be taking a data-driven systematic approach. And I think that's one of the things that you do that distinguishes your style of trading from a lot because it really is a system-driven approach. And for folks out there that haven't traded for very long, you have to start to gain appreciation that if you're not taking a system-driven approach and you're not an extremely objective, almost robotic person, you're going to be your own worst enemy at times. And that's something that I think is important to gain a handle on and having these mechanisms, whether it's just a systemic approach or a backtesting driven systemic approach, that really does help a lot. So the last thing that I want to touch on before we move on to the next subject is I really appreciated one of the things you said, and I want folks out there to really think about this. It's not about catching the absolute bottom. It's not about catching the absolute top. It's about catching the bulk of the move. And it's about being able to do that as consistently as one can. Calling bottoms and tops is more of an ego exercise. And there's a lot of risk in it because we have no way to know that's a bottom or top until hindsight is 2020, right? Uh, but the reality is that if you can find systems that help you capture the momentum or the mean reversion, or other kinds of, of opportunities. That's where the alpha is. So speaking of that, let's talk about well, it. One, yeah. one thing to add very Please. quickly to that, because that's such a great, uh, great point. And so here's one thing to add. So 2020, I'm not going to say my exact return. I've, I've told you before, but yes. 2020 was definitely one of my best years ever, historically, ever. Um so when I'm in the market at that point, what's funny is I had so many people hating on me and saying a bunch of shit because I wasn't long on the market for a very long time. <laughs> Basically, I got this, I got a, a get out of my short signal. And so for me, you know, I'm never going to catch a perfect top. I'm never going to catch a perfect bottom. That's not what I do. Um, so basically, I got out of my short signal, and I'm looking at the SPY chart right now. It was futures, but looking at SPY, the breakdown signal was around 321. Um, and then the sell signal would have been around, or the sell or the close signal, cover signal for the short would have been around 263. So either way, you know, it was a good meet of the move once again, but it wasn't, you know, something that caught the perfect top or bottom because it never is. I didn't get long again on the market until uh, 294.24 would have been where that's at. So, you know, I had so many people, oh, my God, you missed it. Oh, my God, you're crazy. Oh, my God, why would you be long now? You know, like I had all these people saying this crazy shit to me over and over again. And I was just like, you know, once again, like I don't try to 
it's an ego thing for me to tell people, well, like I caught this bottom. Hey, check out this bottom. Or look at I'm buying right here. Like like that's an ego thing. Yeah. So I stayed out of the market and I was I was neutral from that point. I talked about covering my shorts all the way till two ninety five. Then I get long and everybody is so mad at me. You know, I've never met so many people. Clients were mad. People were mad. Like Twitter was mad. It was like people were just so upset, but I would possibly be able to go. I'm getting long now. And so, you know, every pullback, I got all these things. And so this day, I'm still known as like perma bullish because I got bullish then and I was bullish for a very, very, very long time. But that's also if you look at the market, you know, it went from 295 uh, and that sell signal came for that around uh, 450, 42. So, you know, like it's it's that's a huge trade. That's yeah. a very good trade. But once again, it's the I don't having conviction to buy perfectly at the bottom. I don't have it. That's never going to be me. Um, and that's also the thing, figuring out what is what works for you, because uh, I can tell you what works for me, but we're going to trade completely different. And I think trading in general and I don't think a lot of people say this enough, but I think it's more of a let's figure out what works for you. Yeah. What would be your best way of putting a trade together? What, what can you do for your lifestyle? Is your lifestyle something where you want to sit at a computer all day and day trade? Maybe that's you. Um, is, are you a person who has that lifestyle that you want to be able to put on trades and maybe research and be systematic? So for me, I like to I want to look at the market twice a day at the open kind of just seeing how it's moving. Mainly, I really don't have to, but I just like to. Yeah. And then seeing how the closes are each day. And then my signals come at the close of each day, putting on my positions there. And then kind of taking this very long-term approach where I'm not looking for, you know, this massive uh, bottom and being like, oh, look at this, how great I did. I caught this, you know, I caught the S&P at 226. You know, I, that's where I bought SPY so I could tell everybody about it. I want to actually make real returns. So making real returns comes to, well, my system is now in an uptrend. Like once again, you could tell me that that was an uptrend earlier than that. That doesn't matter to me. I'm saying that for me, my system gets an uptrend at that time. And I'm more comfortable to hang on to something what's in what I consider an uptrend. So then I can have the conviction of handling that trade. And anybody who knows me, the one my I think my biggest strength is my ability to really hang on to these mega trends. Um, you yes. know, most people when they get into these big trends, it's it's a it's very hard to hang on. You know, I have I have friends who are probably like way smarter than me, um, way smarter fundamentally than than uh, I could even dream of being. But I watch them get like, for example, I'll get a bullish signal. Uh, I think uranium was one a few years ago. Oh, yeah. you know, I got I got a, I got a bullish signal um, and I had, you know, I ended up because I also run a uh, retirement account as long term. And so for myself, you know, and certain clients, it's a managed accounts. I will come in and go, OK, well, you know, this sector because mainly I just trade sectors and this sector is long. And he's telling me all these reasons to be long. And he called it way before me, literally nailed it at the bottom. Best trade I've ever seen in my life, honestly. Nice. He, he really, really nailed it. However, a week or two later, you know, he's like, well, you know, I don't know, you know, about this trade, you know, like, I don't know about this and this doesn't feel like this. And, you know, this though, and the Biden might be doing this or Trump or whoever was in office at the time, you know, <laughs> like, and then like, you know, you start talking yourself out of it. And I think for me, my conviction is, is that and even though like sometimes that will be the right course of action, 
Sometimes it won't be, but for me, either way, if I put on, if I have, if I build a fundamental thesis, if I build a technical thesis, if I get a long signal, I put that trade on and I put the stop in where my system said to, and I wait for the sell signal where my system says it is, that's it. I am not taking it off. Uh, fucking Jesus Christ, come up to me and, and go, hey, you know, I, I think this this is going to go down here. And I'd be like, well, that sucks. You know, like I'm, I'm going to still be long, you know, <laughs> and that and that's the truth. You know, that's on, honestly the truth, because that that's the thing. If you can get if you can get argued out of positions by somebody who doesn't have the position on, I don't care if it's Warren Buffett or or whoever. Um, you know, there you shouldn't be trading. Like, no. That's not you don't have the conviction in your in your own system and yourself because there's going to be many times because I'm going to get things wrong. You're going to get things wrong. Warren Buffett's going to get things wrong. Like everybody will be wrong on trading at some point, and you might be the only person who sees something. You know, um, there's times where you know I was the crazy person who was shorting oil when it was because the way my systems work, and this is a great example of the system. Oil breaks down at that, you know, 50 level in 2020. And that was, I think, before the pandemic even started. Yeah. Um, so it starts to break down and then it goes to 40. Everybody goes, got to start buying now. It's 40, right? You know, and I'm like, well, my system's short. I'm just going to, you know, not do anything. Breaks down to 30. Everybody's like, absolutely got to buy now. It's oil. <laughs> like, you know, the world, they're not going to let the world collapse. What do you think? The system's going to let itself fail? I'm like, well... I don't know. My system's still short, so I don't care. Once again, it breaks down again to 20. You know, you're an idiot at that point. If you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're still short, you know, like you're, you're obviously insane at this point. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I am an idiot, you know, and that front month contract that I was in because I bought it all the way back then ends up going to negative. Right. Now, once again, I was on interactive brokers at that time. That contract disappeared all of a sudden. Oh, shit. <laughs> but but once again, it's like that was a that's a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, the bond longs over the years, the bond shorts over the years, like, you know, German German bonds was one that trend followers got the most shit on ever. Um as in like the yields are, are at zero. They can't go negative. You know, <laughs> that was, that was unheard of back then. So, you know, you had these trend followers holding these positions long the bonds all the way through this situation that yields are going negative, you know? And like, you know, once again, trend followers or even myself, like I'm not a person who's going to tell you what yields are going to do in 10 months. I'm just going to tell you my system is saying that it's still moving that direction and even if it seems impossible, I'm not going to just close the position because of that. So the back between what we're talking about here, the back testing, the um, the understanding the asset class, the all of these things helps you build conviction. And either way, I do know that sometimes there's going to be a time. There's going to be times where oil is going to hit twenty dollars and just going to bounce there. Once again, it doesn't matter to me because I know for me, I'm trying to. I'd rather catch it from. 50 to 30 rather than try to catch it at a the $60 top I think it was at the time yeah. and try to catch it perfectly at negative you know zero right. you know like it, it's it's never going to happen it's impossible to create a system to do that and if you think your eyes are able to do that like you're going to you're just going to stress yourself out it's not it's not worth it you're going to sit there and be like oh there's a bottom oh there's a top and and none of those things are true 
Like tops, bottoms don't happen like that. Like they don't happen in a predictable manner. No, they, they never they will. They don't. They don't. <laughs> as much as I wish they did. <laughs> we'd, all be, we'd all have our own private islands at this point if it was that easy, right? But Exactly, you know, and, and that it's just the truth of it, you know, and that's that's the thing. Like I love what you talk about and love what you study here, which is understanding what real trading is. And real trading isn't catching perfect tops. It's not catching perfect bottoms. It is, however, creating a system that works for you your lifestyle, your time frame, um, and and also identifying what you can have conviction on. Not everybody can have conviction like me. I, I know that. Like I know that, you know, the first thing a, a trader ever told me when I was learning from them was, wow, you have a really high pain tolerance. You're really able to heal very quickly and move on, you know, and I know that's me. You know, not everybody has that type of pain tolerance. Not everybody has that type of uh, resolve at certain points. Not saying I'm tougher than anybody. I'm saying that's just my personality. But Jason, let's talk a little bit about conviction because you made a really interesting point earlier. There's this guy, you, you, you know, you admire his acumen. He's very smart. He almost nailed the bottom because of some of the ways he was looking at the market, but he didn't have the (sighs) conviction to stay. It sounds like he argued himself out of his Mm -hmm. own position, just kind of looking at, you know, this headline, that development, and basically saying, ah, it doesn't feel right anymore. I'm getting out. And yet, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, my system is telling me to stay long. I've got nothing that's telling me otherwise. Over time, to the folks out there that are listening, that are trying to find their conviction, and I know it's different for everyone, but what did you find to be the most helpful steps to start to develop that tolerance, to start to develop that conviction, and to tune out the noise and focus on the signal? I think a biggest wake up call for me, wow, there's so many over the years. Um, I was partially systematic and I would argue myself in and out of things probably until the first run in um, maybe silver. Um, I remember silver and gold was one of them that were just, you know, you're coming out of 08 you're in this major uptrend. There's every reason in the world to think there's no liquidity and no possible way for any of this to continue on. And you're you're but at the same time, everything's telling you to be long. And, you know, for me, I remember trading in and out many times, um, you know, trying to catch the dips, you know, and losing money. Um, trying and then when it's reversing trend, trying to catch the trend as it's reversing as well. You know, this is very early in my trading. Um, so I'm trying to catch the trend as it's coming down and realizing like it's not stopping. <laughs> you know, like like that's something that's very hard. It's kind of similar to, you know, if you traded through uh, you know, I watched my uncle talk my uncle talked about two thousand, you know, coming out of uh the dot com bubble. Um and I think the best thing I ever learned, here's a good, good, good one that I learned from uh hedge fund market wizards. It's chapter one. It's probably my favorite chapter of any of the market wizards. I forget the name of the trader, but the the chapter is called Knowing When It's Raining. And he talks about 2000 and how the traders in 2000, there was lots of traders who had lots of discipline. And they were all losing money because they were using their stops. They were setting up their trades right, but they were getting chopped to death. You know, the death by 1000 cuts. So, you know, the Nasdaq's going down. They're not going, okay, it's under the 200 day. Okay, it's not making 50 day highs. Okay, you know, there's reasons to not be bullish on that at that point. But they continued to think just like it has been for the last 10 years, it would just keep going up. 
So as it's breaking down, they continue to come in and they set their stops and they get stopped and they set their stops and they get stopped and they set their stops and get stopped. So what he talks about in the book is something that kind of changed my life um, when it comes to really being able to hold trends and really knowing where to put a stop. And it was, you know, once again, you have to always understand that the market doesn't give a fuck about your pain. Right. You know, the market doesn't think it doesn't go, oh, well, you know, you can only lose a thousand dollars here. Like like the market doesn't care. So you have to set you have to have a position size that is small enough and you have to set your stops wide enough. And then you also have to figure out when when do these things just kind of do this? So, for example, I have never seen a stock or, or commodity or anything just crash crazily when it's above the 200 day moving average. You could look at Enron. You could look at frauds. You could look at any company. And that doesn't happen. So, you know, a simple way to look at it. Now, I'm not even a person who really likes 200-day moving averages or moving averages. I'm saying it as kind of a simple way to look at it. What's an uptrend? What's a downtrend? Being very bullish and and holding your conviction when things are in an uptrend. When they're in a downtrend, being very bearish and holding your conviction when it's a downtrend. Even if you're not trading on the long-term time frame like I am, you still can kind of understand that, hey, I can have this amount of conviction now. Hey, I can do this now because I have the conviction that I know for a fact that this doesn't usually happen to any degree that's going to kill me when it's above this indicator. And figure out what that is. Don't take my word for that. Go back, back test 200-day moving average. Go look at charts like Enron. Go look at those things. You know, Don't take my word for anything. I want people to really take the time go through these things, you know, and do that. And, you know, when we talk about certain people, you know, my, my friend, uh, he's probably one of the, like, I, I love talking to him. He's one of the smartest people I know. He nails things to a degree that I've never seen, you know, like he, he called the, um, the tankers, you know, the oil tankers and the, uh, food tankers and all these things like our, our shippers, like he called, he called the shipping trade, like nobody I've ever seen and nailed the stocks and I mean, it's it's phenomenal. But once again, it's a uh, it's very easy to get in your head when you have gains on the table. That's the reason why, like, I think it, you have to be systematic once you put the trade on. Like, you can be fundamental or do whatever when the trade is off, and you're just looking at it to put it on. But once that trade is on, you definitely want to get in there and have some form of system to keep you from overriding yourself because you will. You'll override yourself and then you'll be out of it because uh, I could come up with reasons every single day why I shouldn't be in every trade I'm in. Every single trade. <laughs> you know, there's not, there's not one trade that has money on the table that I go, well, you know, I'm, I'm long Bitcoin right now. It's been a good trade this whole time. It's been a great trade. Trust me, every day I look at the returns and I want to just close it because I'm like, look, look how up I'm in. That's great. It's a great trade. But my system isn't telling me that. My system is saying it could still run. It could go further. And once again, I could be wrong right here. It could turn right on its head. You know, who knows with the crypto market, you know, for, for God's sake, you know, like, but for now, it's been a very good trade. Um, and my system's saying to be long. So I have to continue to be long. And that doesn't also change because of how I feel about Bitcoin. That doesn't change because how I feel about any asset. And that took a long time to really get to that. Honestly, like if we're trying to t- dissect that, that took a really long time for me to look at every asset exactly the same and say, this is okay. Is, is it liquid enough for me to trade? Great. I'm going to just trade it. 
I'm not going to think about what you know my friend said about Bitcoin last week. I'm not going to look at headlines about it. I'm not going to care. Like I really don't anymore. But that took a long time. So that also takes um, energy and effort to become um, disciplined in just that fact, that simple part of it. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And and I think it's important for folks to be patient with themselves as they learn not only how they best trade, what what their psychology is, what works for them to make more consistent returns in the market, but also to be patient as they develop those systems, you know, whether it's a a really systematic approach using backtesting or whatever works best for them. That's a key point. You're you're gonna have a lot of ups and downs as you kind of find your bearings. And I think a lot of people um, you know, they give up before they get to that goal of like becoming consistent, becoming disciplined, uh, having the conviction to hold through these things. And one of the things I think that you said that resonates with me a lot, because when I was a, a younger trader, you know, I would also have that same sort of bias. I would say, well, shoot, this looks really bad. Like I, I did take on, um, you know, back in March of 2009, dating myself a little here, but when S and P hit six, six, six and bounced pretty violently, I took on a three X leverage position in the S and P futures at 700. And I wrote that quite a ways, not all the way, but I wrote it up to about 1400. It was, it was a great trade. Obviously there was a lot more meat left on the bone, so to speak. And the reason I didn't hold it was because all the negative headlines and talking heads and everyone kind of got in my head like, oh, we're still all going to die. The banking system is going to end any day now. And, you know, I I shouldn't (laughs) I shouldn't be long, you know, the 500 best companies in America because they're all going to die, too. And and we're just going to go into this perpetual stock apocalypse. And of course, I forgot the reason I got long in the first place, which was basically like, Look, if something of that magnitude happens, the last thing I'm going to be worried about is my S&P futures position, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you saw developments back then. The Fed was was flooding the system with liquidity. FASB suspended mark to market so banks could mark to make believe. And and therefore, everything looked like uh, puppies and rainbows and unicorns on their balance sheet. So, you know, we kind of got to navigate our way away from the solvency crisis and push forward to kind of papering over all of that, uh, you know, I mean, quite frankly, lots of fraud, lots of really bad risk yeah. management. <laughs> and we started the, the, a new cycle and it ended up being one of the most prolific bull markets in history. And I think that that's one of those things. It's like when everything looks its worst, it's not necessarily a situation where it's time to just jettison all of our holdings, because in that situation, it's much more likely that people have already done that. They've, you know, they've kind of de-risked. They maybe even take on massive short positions. And it reminds me of what you were saying post-COVID in the sense that like, oh, gosh, all these people are mad because you're getting long because they're being told constantly the world's going to end. This virus is going to destroy the economy as we know it. We're all going to be locked in our homes forever. There's not going to be any kind of anything going on. And of course, we found that was not the case. And there was a big macro clue that happened back then, too, which was basically the Fed came out. Powell armed his liquidity bazooka, pointed it at the global financial system. And, <laughs> and it was a bazooka. It really was. I mean, there was like a tsunami of liquidity that entered the system. And he just fired it continuously until we started to see some improvement and then just moderated the pace, but kept pushing that liquidity into the system. And I think it's really important, no matter how we trade, to develop a system, to iterate and improve it and to stick to it and not let our biases interfere with how we're managing our positions. And if there's anything that folks listening out there take away, one of the most important points is this, because what will erode your consistency, your profitability, and even your morale 
is letting yourself get in your own head over and over again. Yes. And Jason, I, no, absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit because we talked about mean reversion. We talked a little bit, it sounds like, about uh, uh, you know trend following. But let's dive into that a little more because this is something that I think is, is a really important approach for people to appreciate because it's really trend following is all about capturing the bulk of the move, right? We're not trying to find the bottom. We're not trying to find the top. We're just trying to ride the trend until it's no longer a trend or whatever our exit signal might be. So for folks that are listening, can you expand a little bit on that? I mean, this is the stuff that we see from, you know, from CTAs of which you are one. How does that work when managing a trade, when identifying a trade and, and when getting out of one? Yeah. So, hmm. so, so basically we're, you're asking, trend following in general what what is the point how exactly does it work yeah exactly and then maybe we can dive in just a little bit more okay cool yeah so when i when i'm looking at uh so basically what a trend follower is is the idea and so we'll go back to the original trend followers which were the turtle traders turtle traders basically had two different types of strategies and now once again think about it in it's the 70s uh, early 80s, it's the perfect time to have this type of strategy because everything was trending up ma- majorly or down majorly, especially commodities at that time. So they created systems that were buy 50-day highs, sell 20-day lows, uh, basically. And once again, there's an ATR stop on these. And then buy 100-day highs, sell 50-day lows, and then vice versa for short signals, You know, sell 100-day lows, uh, close the position on 50-day on highs. And so basically the idea was that when there is momentum behind this trade, that you start to make money by getting long at these certain points. And, and really it's true. So, you know, once again, it's a, some people go, oh my God, you need a hundred day high. Like I want to catch it when it's like perfectly at the bottom. Like you just don't know when it's in an uptrend or a downtrend. And, and also like mainly, and that doesn't mean your system has to be that long-term or that short-term. Also, to be honest, there's people who make more money with a system now. The, the original turtle trader, Jerry Parker, still has systems very similar to this. And the reason, and what he uses is a system that's buying 200-day highs and selling 50-day lows. Um, so it's not about catching these perfect bottoms. And once again, it's a, you know, you never know when something's going to run sideways forever either and then just break out and then the tops, uh, you know, 100 day high is not that far off. So anyways, the idea is you get in this trade, you put on these positions, you hold it until you get that certain certain uh, sell signal or stop or whatever. And the big, the, the other thing, and like we, I talked about a little bit earlier, the most important thing I think as a trend trader is diversification, um, diversification across time frames, meaning you know having like they had the the original turtle traders, two different ones, you know the hundred day highs or the fifty day highs. I think it's important to have fifty day highs, one hundred day highs, two hundred day high systems. Um, you can pyramid into trades using this. You can use it in different assets, whatever you want to do. But I think that's important, and the reason why is to we're looking for outliers. We're not looking uh, to just trade perfectly. We're not looking for every trade to be a winner. We're not looking for every trade to be a big winner. We're looking for the big winner, you know, one or two big winners. You know, you have, think about it this way. You get one, you catch one major trend, you know, a quarter, 
you're doing really well. Like I, you know, I think it's NVIDIA that's up so much, you know, like imagine catching something like that. Um, imagine catching Bitcoin. And then let's say you have like 20 other losers besides that, that are only losing, you know, 1% of your portfolio. Well, those two winners will cover up all your losses and then make you some money at the same time. So, you know, you can basically trade terribly and still do okay. You know, that's why I think, you know, risk management and understanding position sizing and stops and understanding the volatility of these positions, I think that's more important than understanding any trading strategy, methodology, or any of that. So if you can continue to kind of put together this strategy across all these different assets classes using diversification, um, like, like we talked about earlier, it's so important to trade different things. I think so many people get so um, excited about trading one or two things that they forget that there's a huge market out there. You know, like you, it's, it sounds exciting to trade Apple. It sounds exciting to trade those things. It's not very exciting to trade corn. Until you trade corn. (laughs) And then you're like, okay, well, this thing moves too, you know, and it's like, so there's going to be times, a great example, and and kind of the thing that made me really get into diversification, because especially as your account grows, when you get, you know, that, you know, you have a $5,000 account, $10,000, $50,000, $100,000, you can have very little diversification. But as your account grows and you get to those bigger numbers, you need to diversify more and more. And for me, you know, I remember like 2015 was a great example where it was like, man, nothing is 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 working. You know, I need to look at these different markets, you know, and for a futures trader, you can go into different countries, you can go into different exchanges, all different types of things. And so, you know, I remember being like, wow, like, you know, cotton did really well or something at some point. And, you know, corn can do really well. And on the long and short side, you know, these things trend both ways. Commodities really trend and they trend hard both ways. And then you trade some currencies and then you trade this or that, you know, and then adding all of that together. Now you have a powerful system. Now you have a powerful methodology. And so if you take everything of what we're what I've said today and what we've said today, and you put it together, you know, we have uh, creating a methodology, creating a system that works for you and your time frame, and then adding all that to conviction. You know, if you have conviction in your strategy, not saying have conviction in a asset, that is a very different thing. That is not what I'm saying at all. Do never have conviction in Apple, never have conviction in Tesla. Have conviction in your trading strategy and your methodology because really it's it's conviction boiled down is faith. Yes. You know, and so having faith in something you can't control like an asset class or sorry, like wrong thing. Having faith in something you can't control like Apple or, you know, NVIDIA or, you know, any of these companies is something you can't control. Right. But having faith in your methodology, your system, how you want to trade, like what you're going to do, how you, where your stops are, all of these things, having an idea and a methodology behind that and then having faith and conviction in that, now you're a powerful trader. And Jason, that's, that's I think, such an important point. We'll, we'll wrap it there. As we close out, we just have about a minute and a half left. I'd love for people that are listening to know where, you, where to find you and learn more about your work. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me at, what is my name? Uh, Jason P138. And then I'm also on YouTube and I put up a new, uh, video series recently at AAO Research, Against All Odds Research. 
Um, and so if you'd want to check that out, the link of it, of, of this is on my page as well on Twitter. Um, but I just put up a bunch of new videos on the cycle and how to identify cycles where we're at and a little bit about my methodology. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. Well, Jason, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. I'd love to have you back soon, my friend. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave them in the comment section. And uh, Jason, let's catch up soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right, my friend. Take care. I'll catch up next time. All right.